Hello, hello, it's Rob here. This week we've got our first double episode drop. We're going to do this from time to time throughout Act 1, especially at points like this in the story where we where we hit a moment of reflection or introspection or, or introduction of a bunch of new characters. And, and this episode, Chapter 9, is definitely one of those moments. We're going to pause a little bit to take stock, check in, meet some new faces uh, before the story starts barreling ahead again in Chapter 10. Because this is a real transition moment here. If you listen to our introduction episode, we talked about the arc of Act 1 starting out with a stretch of confusion and weirdness, done and done, before moving on to the middle span of episodes, which are all about investigation. And that's where Chapter 10 starts taking us. It's finally time to start finding out more about where we are, what's been going on here, and maybe a little bit about who our protagonist used to be. Finally, I want to take a moment here on behalf of all of us to thank our heroes, Sharon and Ian and Adam and Mandy, the wonderful folks who recently made their way to our little fledgling Patreon page and joined our band of supporters. We're 10 episodes in now, and if you are finding value and fun and interest and enjoyment or any kind of stirring in what we're doing here, please consider joining the party. Any amount will help us to pay for hosting and distribution of the show, it'll help cover the costs of making Act 2, and it will give you access to the new show we just started putting together, which will be available exclusively to our patrons. We were in the studio just last week to kick it off, it was very exciting, and we'll have a teaser to share soon, probably Thanksgiving week. You can find the link to our Patreon page and other ways to support us at our site, darknexuspodcast.com. Thank you so much for subscribing and rating and reviewing, and as always, for listening. We're so glad you found us. On to Chapter 9. Welcome back to Dark Nexus. My name is Rob, I'm the Game Master. We got our four players with us. I'm Katie. I'm Paul. I'm Robert. And I'm Jenny. Tonight, it's Act One, Chapter Nine. We have hit a milestone. <laughs> Two milestones, in fact. A story milestone, a very important point in the story of Book One is this reuniting with this other group of people landing in the chapel and starting off the whole new chunk of interaction and information, frankly, is a big point in the story here. And the other milestone, of course, is reaching level two. So we've got a lot to talk about, a lot of information to get out, and here's what I would like to do. You have the benefit of a full night's rest to care and deal with hit points, saves against, say, filth fever, Polly, and dealing with any lingering sanity damage. Why don't we kick off with some of those rolls just so we can have those taken care of. Then I'm interested in hearing from each of you what what your characters are thinking about during this stretch of time where you've been tasked with sitting in silence and undergoing this trial of patience that Winter has commanded of you. Then when you wake the next day, you'll be level two, so we should talk a little bit about what that means for you. Then I'll catch you up with what's been going on inside the room during the rest of your day of rest and recovery. Sound good? Sounds good. Perfect. Great. So, one thing you learn about this fantastic chapel is that in addition to the benefit 
of restful sleeping provided by the Shrine of Desna, which essentially protects you completely from all outside interference in your dream space. There is also a blessing on the altar to Phrasma, which acts as a hallow spell, not that it's particularly important this particular night, but that would grant you, if you were a good alignment, benefits to your armor class, prevent you from possession, protect you from summoned creatures, that sort of thing. And it also allows you to heal an additional hit point from natural rest. So even without, say, one of you making a heal check to care for the other, you would heal two hit points overnight. And if it's, if it's a 24-hour day of rest, you'd normally heal two, so you would heal three. If somebody makes a heal check to successfully provide long-term care, you'd actually heal five hit points overnight. So who is actually down at this point? I'm still down one. Great, you'll get that back. Everybody I was, I was at full. Great, so just know going forward that the, the room is providing a bump to healing. The next thing we need to deal with is sanity damage. Mm -hmm. At this point, both Dora and Grip only had one point of sanity damage left remaining after one full day of rest. They are both gone. Everybody is at a clean sanity slate. But I still have a phobia. But you're still mad. <laughs> but you're on your second day of not taking any sanity damage, counting towards the seven you need to hit to try to remove the madness. I think that wow. sounds likely. Yeah, it's gonna happen. That's it's gonna yeah, so, happen. But like, this is the safest place for him to do that, where if he was like, I really need to take five more days and just hang out here and not do anything, I well, would be okay. Well, the building is falling apart. And we will talk about the food situation, but oh. yes, yes. Let's discuss filth fever. Yeah. Our good friend Ray is still recovering from it. He failed his save yesterday. He now needs to make two consecutive saves in order to remove this disease. Ugh. If somebody wants to make a heal check to attempt to give him a bonus, a plus four bonus to his fortitude save against the... Uh... Dora got a 15 on that heal check. So, Ray, you get to make a fortitude save plus And can four. I also cast resistance on myself to add another plus one to yeah, these? Yeah, I was going to ask that too, but I think that this is not... No. No, and the only reason is that has a limited window of duration, and essentially this saving throw is representing how your body Got manages it. the entire day. Yeah, that but, makes sense. All right, time to make that roll, Polly. Uh, ten on the die, plus nine, plus six. Action point, can I do that? Sure. Okay, so that would be a 25. Success. Oh, thank goodness. You are now only one save away from recovery. So, we've taken care of the healing, we've taken care of sanity, we've taken care of disease for the day. Ray is feeling better, not not well yet, but he's feeling better. What are what are the four of you pondering as you sit under the pentagram of Asmodeus and contemplate your situation? <laughs> Dora spends most of that time watching the other people in the room, trying to get a feel for their patterns and relationships and who's in trouble and who's, you know, what's going on with them. But she would like to take time during that day to use psychometry on the silver box that they found that had psychic significance. And you make this roll, I believe, but she would like to use her last action point on it. <laughs> her last shame. Yeah. And this is to read the psychic impressions left on the little box. Yeah. She, uh, in, in the interest of, I mean, if anybody's interested while she's doing it, she'll do what she normally does, which is say the impressions out loud as they come to her. But if people are not interested, then she 
she'll just do it silently. But she's not trying to hide it. Is it the sort of thing where you actually have the ability to do it silently? Or, or is that something you can control? Or does it have to come out out loud? Mm-hmm. I guess I hadn't thought about that. As far as I'm concerned, that's entirely up to you. I like that. I like that idea that she can't do it silently. So or every- that there's like a check, like a concentration check or something to do it silently if pressed. Oh, okay. You know? Yeah. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think in general, why, yeah, she would... It would just come out. It's like the automatic writing, it just spills out. in a place where we needed to hide it, I, I would like the opportunity to try to do it silently. Trying to suppress something that you're trying to open yourself yeah, up to at the exactly. same time. So it's like you kind of just have to open the whole channel. That's cool. Go. That's cool. So next, so, yeah. when, whenever you want to try to hold yeah. that in, we'll, we'll work out a right. concentration check mechanic. <laughs> we won't do it now, but... Okay, great. Okay. So I'm making a perception check. What's your bonus? It's plus seven, plus an action point. I'll let you roll the shame point because I rolled extremely low here. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Five. Okay. You have a plus seven bonus? Yeah. Okay. That is that's a 15 plus exactly. Yeah. You rolled a three. I don't like you rolling these. Th- All right. Last time you no, got two I pieces know, of information. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> you are holding the little box in your hand and you get that same rush of images swimming through your mind as though you are bathing in this river of time, traveling to all of the places that this box has traveled, seeing all of the hands that has held this box, seeing all of the rooms this box has been in, and you reach out your mind and stop the flow of images, and you get this mist-like image of a small office. It's got stone walls painted white. It looks very similar to the architecture of the room that you're currently in. You'd guess it's probably in this building. You see a human man in his 40s or so, very regal looking, big fluffy white beard, white hair. He's dressed in purple clerical vestments. They look exactly like the vestments of that ghoul you had to put down in the wash basin. And you see this man hold up the box. Remember it's wrapped with a leather cord? He unwinds the leather cord from the box and it turns out that the leather that the cord itself is intended to be tied around his head he ties the box to his forehead and then kneels in prayer before a small stone spiral symbol of verasma and you get the feeling that this is perhaps the first time he ever used this item and then that image disappears fantastic what about what's going on with Gull this day? Oh man, what's not going on with Gull? He is remembering that voice that he heard when he first woke up of hide yourself. Mm. And the failures that he has been accumulating like since he has essentially been born. Huh. And they've all come at the time whenever he has put himself out there. Yeah. Every time that he goes against that voice, that voice that has like filled up these spaces inside of him, these parts of him that have just been missing, that have been taken, mm-hmm. that's when he fails. It's like going against the new prime directive that's been jammed inside of him. And he is so frustrated because he doesn't know where that voice came from. He doesn't know if that's some part of him that is trying to save himself or if it's something that filled in those spaces to like try to, I think of it like a, a, a 
a tree or something like that, a living thing where like part of it got cut away. Mm-hmm. And so something else from inside it filled it in to, to save him. Yeah. Or if it's like something that got cut away and then this other thing was jammed inside of it. So he's not sure if he should be listening to that voice of trying to hide himself or if it's better to go against it, even though every time he does, it feels like it, he keeps slamming into a wall. And that makes him think about the dream that he had in that brief time when he was unconscious, when Dr. Oath's day knocked him out and he was bleeding out again from one of his failures, when he totally had the opportunity to take her down and finish it at the very beginning. And he kept not being able to quite make it. Like a little part of his brain kept forcing the rapier off to the side a little bit more. And he's remembering the dream and trying to think about the things because at first he thought it was all bullshit. Because he's like, why would this thing that I already had like this dream experience with tell me the truth? It's it's a lie. It's, right. They're just trying to get to me again. Right. But then he heard the crying man. And Ray heard the crying man. Mm-hmm. And how did Ray know about the crying man? So that that is making him reassess this dream and go, wait a minute, does Ray know the crying man? Does anybody else know the crying man? Does that mean that Dora and I are actually married? That's fucked up. Um, And he remembers the whole thing of seeing his face change in the the experience of seeing it in the mirror. And it reminds me of... uh, reminds Johnny of uh, the scene in A History of Violence with Viggo Mortensen mm-hmm. where they finally track him down and he's been this mild-mannered guy and stuff and literally it's an amazing piece of acting you're looking at his face and it literally changes from like this mild-mannered looking guy to he's like yeah you got me you got the killer <laughs> you figured it out but now you don't want any part of it and that's what it makes yeah. me reminds me of it makes me think of, of that moment of like oh is that really who I am? Is that what I'm trying to hide myself from? Right. So we've got a lot of stuff yeah. that's going on in his head. And what's he doing as he's, as he's pondering all this stuff? Well, it, it would be so nice if there wasn't a tax on actually using my extracts for anybody other than myself, but my extracts currently only work for myself. Sure. So he's trying to think about, you know, right now, selfishly in terms of gaming the system of like, what can I do for the rest of these people that can at least get me that step further? So he's looking around and he spots like the, the boy with the family and the, the husband and wife, he assumes husband and wife again makes him look over at Dora and think about that. While he's doing all this, he's going through his formula book. He's fiddling with that mechanical torch thing, right? messing with that, trying to figure that thing out. He's looking at like, you know, he's just, he's going through his stuff again. He, it's almost at this point become like a ritual thing of like taking his stuff out, looking at it. And he also at this point, since we're actually in a chapel, he feels like this is maybe a safe place to take his fox. Yeah. And he doesn't want to interrupt the priestess now, but he definitely, when this 24 hours has passed, he wants to go to her and ask if she will do some final rites for this fox. Great, let's touch on that when we pick back up. What's going on with Grip during this chunk of time? I think Grip starts this process literally just sitting and staring. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking like Putty on Seinfeld where he just just can sit there. <laughs> that's awesome. And then without meaning to or realizing that's what he was doing, he's looking at all these people and clocking how he would fight each one. Oh, 
if it came to that. And as he's doing that, he realizes, like he's thinking about what he's done over these last couple of days. And he knows how he knows how to hit something because you just hit it. But he's not sure how he knows in these moments, like when he does, when he gleans a feat temporarily, I picture that what's in his head, you see a dumb face and the eyes roll and he cracks his neck, but what he sees is like in um, the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes, where he sees the path to the thing that needs to happen, and he has no idea how he knows how to do that. And as he's going through this, he's also looking at that constable badge and thinking about the images that were given to him about that. And he's not appalled at the cruelness which Ray called him out on because he doesn't know what the situation was. And sometimes someone needs a boot to their fucking neck. So he doesn't know. Maybe this kid did, but he's, in both instances, the laughter that issued from him has him wondering if that's who he is. Yeah, that laughing orc that Dora described probably bears no resemblance in your mind to who you consider yourself to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he clear, but clearly he's smashing things is what yeah. his function is, and he's he recognizes that. But but yeah, lo, lots of questions. Ray, you know, I was thinking of how player Paul, even after uh, over a decade of playing this game, is still in the dark whenever a deity's name is mentioned. Like hmm. all of these names are coming up, and people seem to around the table seem to know who you're describing what they represent, what um, what the deity would look like. And I'm Paul is still in the dark. And I imagine, you know, that's very similar to what Ray is experiencing. Yeah. This power that he has, he feels it's divine. He's not sure what the relationship is there. So I think he's just kind of surrounded by all this divine worship, divine energy, wondering about his place and all of that. And there's something, too, about when trying to figure out where we are, this, I, don't, I don't mean to get meta here, but I'll just keep it as, as far as Ray's concerned. I know that I want to believe the best about myself. Hmm. I want to believe that I'm not that thing that I saw or accused grip of. But I don't know. We don't know. And even with my, my power, and I'm thinking about, you know, what can I offer these people? Well, obviously I can offer them healing. And to me, that's like, oh, I'm a healer. You know, that's what I'm going to identify myself with as being a healer. But I, I can't be sure that I'm a good person. Right. I don't know. Right. <laughs> so and that's is, kind of where I'm at. Is the lot of the healer, which is essentially always giving everything of yourself to everybody else, the lot that he wants for himself. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about leveling. (laughs) I'm imagining some of you may have some secrets you want to keep in your pocket for later, but who wants to talk about what they got when they leveled? I'll go, and I'm going to start with a question, if I may. Normally when we level, we picture it as we are, we because of what we have done, we have accumulated new skills, power, what have you. Is that how you envision leveling in this game, or are we merely unlocking things that were already there that we just didn't remember? That is such a great question and one that I've wrestled with a lot. Katie and I have had lots of conversations about 
You know, if she decides to take ranks in the linguistics skill, which gives you knowledge of a new language, is Dora learning a new language or is Dora remembering a language? And there was a chunk of time as we were preparing to do this that I definitely thought it was 100% you were remembering stuff you used to know. My thought on that changed, mostly because I am interested in these people discovering who they are and having that be actually a separate identity from who they used to be. So I think it's probably a combo. Like when I look at what Grip does, mm -hmm. I think for the moment, yeah, I bet he probably is tapping into things he used to know. And maybe that continues to be the case, or maybe we found a point where Grip discovers that he's learning new things entirely on his own as he maybe go, walks down a feet path that maybe you weren't expecting to take when you started this campaign. Mm -hmm. You might find a point story-wise where Grip takes control of the new Grip versus the old Grip. And I see, we've already talked about Dora and the languages, but I don't see whatever she unlocks psychically as necessarily having anything to do with who she may have used to be. So as far as I'm concerned, as we identify these milestones of, of gaining levels, we can also think as we share you know, what we can now do and what, how we do it, what, what do we as players think about, like am I remembering or am I changing, am I discovering, mm -hmm. did I find something? I, I'm guessing some levels will be obvious and some levels will be obvious in a different way. At some levels it might not be an interesting story point, but we can, we can play that as it comes. Cool. I was just gonna say like, we as players won't know that until we find out who these people were to a certain extent. Sure, but I can also take direction from you if you are telling me you feel like this is something that's in your blood, then I can funnel that into what I know about you. And if you're feeling like, I'm, I want to separate myself from what I'm learning about myself, I think this is all the new me, I, mm. I'll, I'll follow your lead where I, I can. I like that idea of uh, our backstories as a conversation that's continuing right. to And I, you know, there's, I, I know certain highlights, but I don't know all the details. So yet. Nothing, nothing is set until nope. you've nope. laid uh, it out to correct. us. Correct. I, I just want to, this is uh, an ad addendum to that, this idea of like when we created these characters, not having a backstory that we had to, at least for me, I tried to pick a couple, few characteristics, things that I cared about, and like those were the things that I based a character on. Mm -hmm. And I am loving it so much. <laughs> yeah. It is so much more fun than doing a detailed backstory for me in terms of having a whole story written out and uh, because it gives room to flesh in and fill in those places of like what these things, where the meaning for these things came from. It's like watching Lost, where you meet this group of characters <laughs> on an island and they all are what they seem to be to you, the viewer, and then over time, little pieces of their backstories reveal that they are not who they present themselves to be. None of them are. Interesting. Or, or they are not who they think they are, really. Yeah. You right. know, I, we were all one of Bob Newhart's dreams. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have that conversation in five years. Uh, you want to kick us off with uh, what you got when you leveled? Uh, yes, I got more hit points, which are good because I use them. My will save is still plus zero. I don't get any bonus to will save until the third level. Saves went up, uh, BAB went up. I get a bonus combat feat at second level. 
nothing's really secret of this time, so I'll just say I got power attack, oh, which opens yeah. up a whole yeah. new slew of feats I can choose from because now uh, a lot of those have power attack as a prereq. That's so awesome. That's that great. will be fun. I have 39 feats to choose from. Wow. <laughs> um, playing your character. It's crazy. Uh, and then a new class ability, Brawler's Flurry. Essentially, if I'm using unarmed or monk weapons or light weapons, I can have the two-weapon fighting feat if I want to take another attack, and I can use my full strength damage with the offhand <laughs> attack. That's so great. Um, wow, this is yeah, a that's amazing. level for yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> I think that was it. Great. I mean, your first level was awesome, but this one is like smack you in the face off. second level and I have 24 hit points. Oh, wow. so great. Holy mackerel. What about you, Polly? Um, I also went up in hit points, base attack bonus, et cetera, et cetera. I think the biggest shift or change or new thing is I do have guidance. And I have Detect Undead, which is added to my spell list, which is... Excellent. Nice. Ooh. That's cool. exciting. Yeah. Potentially very useful. Yeah. What about Dora? Um, so Dora got... Dora doubled her hit points with a max roll. Yay! Thank God. She, needs she still them. has none, basically. Uh, her, her will save went up by one, and she added ranks to all of her skills. I think the other stuff will come out in time. Great. She can feel herself. Dora doesn't have these conflicts about her past that I'm hearing from other people. Mm. Dora is very in the moment. She is, this is who I am right now. This is where I am right now. And so this is what's going to happen. This is what I'm going to do. So I think her sort of peace with that allows her abilities to open and expand a lot of what she does is about controlling her emotions, and I think her ability, she's discovering that her ability to do that is not in clamping down, but in letting go and opening up. Oh, that's exciting. Great. So she's uh, she can feel opportunities like things she can pluck from a mm. branch to try to do. Mm. That's what's going on with her. Great. What about Gull? Gull, you know, the hit points, uh, I did real nice on my roll. Didn't quite get max, but uh, real close. I have a nice amount of skill rank, so I took a, a couple new uh, knowledge skills, uh, some ones that we didn't have before, engineering and nature. So now Wonderful. We, we actually will have a chance at rolling on some of those things. The most exciting thing that I got was I got an additional extract a day, and I got a new extract, a new formula as well. So that, that should be pretty cool. Great, great, great. So during the course of the day, let me tell you a little bit about the average day in this room. The two folks that you initially saw at the barricade spend a lot of their time there. Their names are Danae and Jared. You met them before a little bit. The guard who kept guard right outside the chapel, sort of being able to keep an eye on both the barricade and the interior of the chapel. His name is Denman. They were calling him Den. He's a real quiet dude. He hangs by himself. It seems as though he maybe was a a member of the staff of the Briarstone Asylum before. He's got the cobbled together padded armor and a crossbow and he's keeping to himself. There are two women, you saw them before join the barricade when uh, the situation got pretty heated, both in their 40s or 50s. There's one that's dressed like a nurse and wrapped in some cobbled together armor. Uh, Her name is Nasa. You can picture her as a sort of a full-figured graying hair tied back in a ponytail sort of lady. I picture Misery era Kathy Bates. 
Mm -hmm. And she's joined by another woman about the same age, picture like Olympia Dukakis at about that same age, silvery hair, kind eyes. Her name is Miura, you hear? Uh, she's mute, she does not speak. There's some folks being tended across the way. There was the one woman who was wrapped in blankets and her, her leg was being healed of some sort of injury. You know her name is Erwin. She's about in her 30s. She's very pale, willowy, long red hair. Picture uh, Paula Malcolmson. There's a child there. He's, uh, I, I just, I can't help but picture Haley Joel Osment in <laughs> Sixth Sense. <laughs> so, young boy, soulful eyes, soulful eyes. Then there's a... What, what was the boy, do we know the boy's name with the soulful eyes? Bates. Bates. Norman. Norman. And then there's a man, a middle-aged patient, short, built like a boxer. Really leathery, craggy face, long gray hair slicked back. I picture Edward James almost in kind of the, the BSG era. He, he's a patient, and he seems to be suffering from some auditory and maybe visual hallucinations, and people seem to take turns tending to him. There is some medicine that Winter keeps by where her little pallet is that is doled out to him at regular intervals, and the process of getting him to take it, he's not violent, but the process of getting him to take it seems to be an involved process that involves lots of people. It's hard to get his attention, it's hard to get him to focus, and they seem to be nervous about using force, as you can probably imagine. And then there's a woman in that corner as well. She's obviously a, a patient as well. She's younger, in her 20s. I picture, a, do you know Andrea Bang? Do you watch uh, Kim's Convenience? Short, petite, long, straight, dark hair. She's real feisty looking. She walks around talk to, talking to herself a lot. And she has to be, over the course of this day, probably encouraged from not going up to talk to the group of you. She seems to be a little in her own in her own space. Any name? Her name is Basilie. Oh, I didn't give you the man's name. Loic. Loic. Then you remember you saw the younger man with the two kids in the other room. During the course of the evening, they come back into the main chapel to sleep. Apparently, it is the only safe place to sleep, even though they spend the bulk of their time in an office next door. Apparently, his name is Tolman. He was a nurse here. The young boy is just a little pixie. Remember that kid that was in Jerry Maguire? <laughs> yeah, that's who I picture. He has a fantastically made shadow lantern. Do you know what those, that is? They go, the little boxy things that go around like a torch or a candle to shed okay. shadow images on a wall. Oh, yeah. He's got this amazing one that creates images of flocks of birds. And as he kind of spins, it looks like birds are flying around the room. And the girl that is with them, I can't help but picture like a first season Game of Thrones era Maisie Williams. Mm -hmm. A little firebrand, little firebrand, but, oh, and her name is Maeve. The boy's name is Brenton, and the nurse who's tending to them, Tolman, seems to be able to manage both of them very, very well. And it does seem as though they've decided the best place for these two kids is in the other room and not in here with the injured people, the people talking to the walls, and the bodies that are piled on the southern wall of this chapel. You do learn, uh, in addition to the other benefits provided by this room, this is something that Ray would be able to glean over the course of a day, that there seems to be wrapped up in the halo effect from the shrine to Phrasma, a gentle repose effect, which means that any corpse in this room will not turn into an undead 
creature if left unattended, that basically any body in this room will stay dead if it is dead. A very natural thing for a, a shrine of Pharasma to, to do. Do we know where the edge of the hallow is? The edge of the room. It's basically the, the, this room itself is just a little safe pocket. So as the day goes on, you see in terms of... Quick question, who were the man and woman with the boy next to them that you described when we first came in the room? Was that Bates and somebody else? Loic, Basilie, and Bates. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So over the course of the day, you see Winter tending to everybody with a certain degree of a bedside manner bordering on brusqueness, but not on the opposite end of kindness. <laughs> she seems to see herself as responsible for these people's lives and is willing to help and care for them. But maybe she hasn't been someone who's found themselves caring for people most of their lives. You get that sense of her sort of acclimating to a new role. There are injuries to be tended to. There is Erwin's injury. And you do notice through the course of the day, though you, you have to assume that Winter would have access to healing spells, she does not cast them. She seems dedicated to focusing on mundane healing in this room. But there are injuries to be tended to on Erwin and also the little boy Bates. He has some wounds on his face, claw marks on his face, that are, they look to be several days into healing but are not yet fully healed. He's in recovery mode. So there's tending to be done there. There is food that has to be made. You see they, they have what seems to be a stockpile of food that they have hauled out in the form of grain and venison. They've got some uh, crates filled with onions. You guess they maybe have a week or so of food left based on where they're sitting right now and how much you see them eating. The food they're making ain't great. If anybody has any skill with profession cooking or with survival, that's something that could be done to help them. Could alchemy be used to make the food last longer? Oh. Is it preservative or something like that? Oh, or it could be... I think that's a great use. Okay. Yeah, I think that's definitely a possibility. And then there is the job of helping Loic get his tinctures that he has to take. There are piles of broken ceiling support beams, chairs, furniture, that has to get broken down to make firewood and also to help bolster up the barricade if anyone's looking for physical labor to do. Hey. That's just sort of an overview of what you see during the course of the day. We are, so to make sure I understand correctly, we are to spend the day doing nothing and then after the day is the test of charity where we have to find ways to help them. Exactly. So while we're doing this, we should not be chipping in. Okay. Correct. So the rest of the day passes doing the thinking that you've described. We rest overnight, level up, gain those hit points, big excitement, <laughs> and those shame points. Yes. Yeah, oh, you get, get your shame points. More shame points this level. Oh, do we? Six. Oh, okay. I did do that. And despite the fact that Ray succeeded at his save, he is still suffering from his filth fever. So he's got the, what is it, sickened and fatigued? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's brutal. So only one more day of that if you can make the save tomorrow, buddy. Oh, okay. Okay. And then mid-morning, Winter approaches the group. You have passed the test of patience. Now I will ask you to engage in a test of charity. Is there anything you would like to do to help us? I have the power to heal. It's some kind of magical ability. I don't know where it comes from. Is that something 
that's allowed within this temple, I haven't seen it. She looks down at your holy symbol of Shailen. You do not know where your power comes from? I, I don't. You are not a priest of Shailen. I... I have no memory of my life. What does that mean? It means that I, and I believe all of us, have just recently come into consciousness in this building with no memory of where we've come from. All yes. of you? Ah, uh, yes, true. We woke up downstairs in the cells. I did not remember who I was, where I was. And you all woke up at the same time? When yes. was this? A week ago? Ten days? When was this? Three days ago. What happened three days ago? We woke up. We woke up and the, the thing downstairs in the doctor's coat was cutting toes off a man. That was the first one we killed. Maybe yes. you can tell us what happened three days ago. Hmm. I will put some thought to this and we'll be talk later this afternoon. To answer your question, what is your name? You can call me Ray. Ray. On the first day. I say you can call me Ray, purposefully not bringing up my name, Brayden, which has been echoing in the thunder. Yes. <laughs> nice. Very wise. <laughs> I made the mistake on our first day of using my magic to heal the people I was with. That was before we were overwhelmed and swarmed by ghouls. I have learned as long as we are safely in this room, I must conserve my magic to use against them should the time come. Ray destroyed two of them yesterday. That is good. They are an abomination that must be put down. You are free to do with your gifts as you choose, but this is why you do not see me using Phrasma's power in this chamber. I feel it more important to save it as an offensive weapon because these people, and she looks, she looks around, there's only one person in this whole situation who seems capable as a combatant, uh. and that's Vostin, the one who is leading the charge at the barricade. If you'd be willing to introduce me to the sick, I would like to lend a hand there where I can. And what about you? She looks at Gull. Uh, yeah, uh, my name's uh, Gulliver, but you, you, you can call me Gull. I, uh, I'm pretty good with, uh, you know, chemicals and al alchemy and stuff like that. I, I see that you have, like, limited resources with uh, your food stuff, and I could maybe try to see if there's some way I could help it so it doesn't go bad. Very good. Very good. What about you, she looks at Grip? I do not have skills with magic or with chemicals, but if you have anything that needs smashing, I can smash it. If you've got anything that needs breaking, I can break it. If you got anything that needs lugging, I can lug it. We do indeed. We will put you on fire with duty. And, madam. Afraid I, I don't have the physical strength of my friend, and the things I can do veer uh, rather in another direction than rays. If you have objects or even corpses uh, that you might want to know more about, I might be able to help you, or if that uh, woman who doesn't speak, I think her name is Mura. Yes. If you suspect she has something to say and you'd like to know what it is, I might be able to reach her. I might even be able to help with Loic and 
his uh, medicine taking, though not like, physically restraining him, of course. No, of course not. Mura has indicated repeatedly that she does not wish to communicate. Now, she does not express this violently or aggressively, so perhaps over time, but I would leave that to you and would not assign that to you. If you are able to establish a rapport with her and you wish to pursue that, that is up to you. But if you are willing to help calm Loic down, that would be very useful for all of us. I'm, Katie is wondering if there's a way to use hypnotism to chill him out. Oh, there absolutely may be. Let's start with, let's start with Dora. And Gull is also going to ask, or I, John wants to ask, would uh, my alchemy skill be any use in terms of looking at the medicine that they're giving him in terms of altering the dosage or making it help in some way or... Or maybe even making more of it yeah. with what they have. So you see, what they have is essentially a cobbled together stockpile of different bottles. It looks you picture someone going through a dispensary and shoving. They don't know what any of this shit is. Like some some of them are nurses and some of them do know. And it seems like he's been given the same thing and they seem to know that he should be getting that. But they probably don't exhaustively know everything they have on hand. So I will also mention to uh, Winter. I, I see that you have like uh, the medicines and stuff. I could I could maybe go through that and kind of help you organize it. Great, 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 great. So Dora, you want to attempt to hypnotize yeah, so him? Yeah, so lots of things I want to combine going on here. Okay. So it seems closest to the uh, implant suggestion use of this hypnotism, mm-hmm. whereby she would be suggesting that he chill out. Mm-hmm. Uh, just let let it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but she wants to start by using a new thing that she's not done before. And so she stills herself and touches on a place. She thinks about the wedding rings we don't understand and Eric and the lost violin and the message of don't forget. It fills her, she sort of settles in a place of sorrow. And she imagines one of those rooms in that mansion on the hill where all of her thought components seem to take place and of a wind kind of howling very lonely through there. But the effect that she summons is a ghost sound of a light lullaby, a light, gentle, calming lullaby. So he's been staring at the wall, kind of halfway between the floor and the start of the stained glass window. and. As you are approaching him, you're taking in, picture this giant, essentially like 12, 15 foot tall stained glass window. And outside, obviously, it is just a wall of roiling yellow fog. He's staring at the wall, kind of muttering to himself. And then this lullaby comes up and his head just perks up. Oh, is that, is that Sally? Is that Sally? He turns around. He's looking around the room for the source of the ghost sound. I haven't heard her in many years. When was it? Sally? Sally, you put that down. No, 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 you come over here. You come over here. And he sort of sits down in the corner and he reaches a hand out in front of him, not towards anybody. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so change of plan. Uh-huh. One of Dora's new abilities is a a once-per-day ability to detect thoughts. 
So she's going to try that. Uh, it's just like casting a spell for her. So she summons an image of a very tightly wound scroll being unfurled. Mm-hmm. And that feeling of sorrow that accompanied the ghost sound shifts into a place of n- its superiority, but not without kindness. Mm-hmm. It's just like like a teacher looking down upon a student who is eager to learn. Mm-hmm. And so she touches into that place of Sally and whatever he's reaching for, and she just wants to get an idea of what he's going through. Okay, he gets a will save, right? Yes. Like that. Okay. You're touching into a mind that is not whole, but is filled with images. You see a, a young girl, probably seven or eight, in this very stylized, almost cartoonish Alice in Wonderland bright blue dress. And she is laughing as she skips through a field of green grass while a very gentle rain falls. A rain that is not screaming people's names, Mm. a rain that is not splatting like blood, a rain that is not burning his flesh, and he loves the sound of that rain. Uh. And something about this day and that time with Sally is what he's trying to concoct out of what's happening. So she shifts back into that place of sorrow and picturing the wind howling through the rooms and, and changes the ghost sound to rain falling gently on a window. Excellent. Before she begins her process of... So the sound of the rain is enough to calm him and soothe him, and you get a nod from Mura, who has approached again a picture of Olympia Dukakis coming up behind you, silently laying a hand on your shoulder. She gives you a nod, and she pulls out a little blue tincture, and Loic gives a a nod of of happy place, Mm -hmm. serenity, and she delivers the medicine. Uh, why don't you give me a craft alchemy check, Johnny, for for Gull's efforts here? All right. Let's start with the medicine project. Let's start with the medicine project. <laughs> Ooh, natural 18 oh. plus 9, so that's going to be a 27. That's fantastic. I'm going to, let's see, why don't, no, why don't you roll a four-sider for me? Four-sider? I don't right. have to roll that. You can roll that. Four. So you, through your efforts, would guess that you have expanded the length of time that they've got usable medicines to do the things they need to do from the three days they were at to seven days. They've now essentially got a week of medicine to distribute around, if nothing else drastically changes. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yeah. Great. And give me a check on dealing with the food as well. And I I will tell her that. Great. Go. And I would also try to, like, anything that they have that are tools to, like, do anything, I would do my best to clean it, repair it, make sure that it's yeah. actually, yeah. Oh, this is where this should be, this how this is connects to this, this is, yeah. and I would take the two nurses, or whoever is acting as the the people that are giving out the, the stuff and basically go, look, I'm, I'm not trying to tell you how to do your job, but I, I understand how to make the medicine. And so, if you want to get the most out of it, you want to and basically sort of go through it a little bit. Sure, that would be the other the other woman who was standing near the door with a crossbow, Nasa. Nasa. She's she's very happy to to, to hear uh, anything that will help out their situation because she's oh she's doing her best, you know. But she's just way, a pirate. This is way outside her pay grade. <laughs> you, you're the best pirate nurse I ever met, and I, I really think you're great. Um, I'm writing a note. Uh, pirate, the yarest 
pirate nurse. <laughs> give me a check. Give me a check on the food. Uh, check on the food. All right, come on, food. Natural twenty. Fantastic. Ooh. All right. For so that's another, gonna be a, that's a twenty nine. Give me another roll on that foresider. For a natural twenty, shouldn't I get you know more than one foresider? For the natural twenty, you get to roll a foresider. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Fair enough. Four again. Oh, wow, excellent. So Can I add roll. an action point to that? It's not a d20 yeah, it's not roll. not a d20 roll. Come on. You have extended the this food supplies. This is not supplies. a moment of shame. No, you, you should feel good about what you just did. All right. And Grip, Can I ask a question? Yes. Just, just referencing what Dora did. So the mind was broken, but it was not what she experienced trying to hypnotize Ray, correct? In that where there's nothing. Oh, I never got to hypnotize him. But but didn't but you? But whatever it was, you did. Thoughts, oh, that was that what you did? Which to is him about then? like seeing what's on their what's on the surface of their mind. Like when you get to the third gotcha. round, okay. you detect thoughts. You can sort of see like there's a guy in the basin, like I saw in the laundry room. Yeah, yeah. You know, just sort of what's at the forefront of the mind. It's not delving deep to recall memories. Gotcha. Okay, I, I missed. Okay, thank you. Uh, you want to give me a strength check to deal with the chopping up of firewood and hauling it around? Oh, no. Five. Oh, don't embarrass me, oh. buddy. I rolled a two. I rolled a two on my firewood chopping. Shameful. Okay, so Robert, imagine if you were. Can I ask a question first? Yeah. What did they, what did they give me to chop wood with? Probably something crappy. <gasps> Was it a slashing weapon? He used a slashing <laughs> instrument to try to chop wood. Oh, <laughs> that's too brilliant. Oh, oh that's Poor fascinating. Buddy. So. Well, this is even better than where I was going to lead you on this question. So we, we can imagine that you are, you're brought over to this pile, and you know this is all sort of happening at the same time, so maybe Muro is available at this moment to direct you over there and kind of get you set up without speaking. And you're eyeing the pile of wood, and she pops up suddenly. <laughs> behind you. For fuck's sake, woman! With a crappy axe. You can't see this, but he just mimed pulling a big knife out of nowhere. So, Ray, you're over kneeling by Erwin, who's got the broken leg, Yeah. and you're leaning down to start to tend to her as across the way, Grip yells out, for fuck's sake, woman, and uh, makes a bit of a show of some rage there. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't doesn't escalate past that, but he's he's dealing with a very serious phobia, and he's taken quite aback and just yelled out. Erwin's eyes open, and you see her, you see her look around for the source of the sound, her eyes lock on grip, and she says, Oh, oh no, he came back. I didn't see a thing. Don't you kill me, Mom. I promise, I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything. And she starts bawling, and she's like trying to stand up and scramble away, and she's now screaming because she's trying to stand on this broken leg. Please, uh, settle down, settle down. I don't know what you think you saw, but it's it's okay. You're okay. You're safe. Please, have a seat. Have I, a seat. I didn't tell anyone. No, no. You're safe. You're safe. You didn't say a word. Everything's okay. But he came back. It's, it's, it's okay. We're just here to help. I'm here to help. What's your name? My name's Ray. Call me Ray, okay? Ray. Okay. Would you kill me before he does, please? No one's going to kill you. No one's going to kill you. 
Give me a diplomacy check. Yeah. Oh, shoot. Japers. <laughs> yeah, never mind your rotting arms and legs. So I take a minus four penalty on charisma based <laughs> skill and, and checks. And this is because you're rotting. Yes, right. Yes. right. I rolled a 13. I'm going to take an action point. A shame point. A want. shame point. So that brought it up to a 19 minus 4 is 15. Gosh, can I, if I also channel positive energy at the same time that I'm telling her that we're, you know, I'm going to help her and stuff, can that give me a circumstantial support on this roll? Look awesome. Or you're just going to heal her legs so she can run away faster. (laughs) Well, we don't want that. Go ahead and roll how much hit point damage you heal. One. Well, it's more magical healing than she's gotten okay Wait, was so that in a was that in did you just do channel so channel positive up? energy so anyone around so this would happen to uh bates oh bates is so the wounds on bates's face close up a little bit you see the compound fracture on her leg heal up a little bit more and she's just immediately taken aback and has seemed to calm down enough for the moment that she's not going to try to run anywhere but she is turning her back on grip and facing away. Is the lullaby playing by any chance or the <laughs> the gentle sound of rain? Sure, we can say the the, the rain is is falling at this point. So wait, you created an auditory hallucination for everyone in the room? I thought that was just for Loic. It's a sound. It's just there. Yeah, everybody heard that. Wow. So she's calm for the moment. What do you say to her? Okay, so my friend over there, you seem to have seen him before. He promised he'd kill me. I'm not gonna let him kill you. He looked me in the eyes while I was while he was holding me over his head with one hand. He looked me in the eyes and he said he'd tear me apart with his bare hands and that he'd find my mom and he'd kill her. That he'd find everyone my mother ever loved and he'd kill them. He promised me on his soul, he said, and then he laughed and laughed and laughed. I'm not going to let that happen. Winter would probably be drawn over here by this point. Erwin, what what are you talking about? When did this this happen? It was three years ago. It was was in Farast. Farast is essentially our equivalent of the month of March. It was was the night that Dr. Trace disappeared. Hmm. And he, he told me I couldn't tell a soul. So I haven't told a soul. I think I've already said too much. No, no, no. Grip, would you come over here? Hey. When you get, when you even take a step, obviously she freaks. So Winter holds up a hand and says, no, stay where you are. Did you threaten this woman's life? Not that I remember. I have no idea what I've done before we woke up downstairs. Erwin is watching you talk. She holds Ray's hand. He seems different. He has no memory of this. How can he have no memory? He's a changed man. A lot of good that did Dr. Trace, didn't it? She folds over herself under her blanket and uh, curls up in a ball and seems to wish to be left alone. Okay. I'm going to just nod at Grip. Sorry, I fucking startled anyone. That thing in the basement got in my head, and the axe 
toilet fucking terrified me. I do not know why. I'm gonna look up at Winter. Mm-hmm. Winter. Yeah. Is there something else that Grip could do with his strength that doesn't involve sharp objects? Can you fire a crossbow? I don't see why not. Why don't you take a shift at the barricade? Now that I can do. She sends you down there, and um, we'll say a couple of hours pass as all of this drama transpires. And as she gathers the four of you up after this test of charity has been passed, she sits you down over by her pallet on the northern end of the room, far away from the symbol of Asmodeus. She sits you down and looks you all in the eyes and says, now, let us have a conversation about what is going on here. End of chapter nine. Oh. <laughs> Pick it up next time. Dark Nexus is a creation of Plug and Hum Productions. This podcast uses trademarks and or copyrights owned by Paizo Incorporated, which are used under Paizo's community use policy. We are expressly prohibited from charging you to use or access this content. This podcast is not published, endorsed, or specifically approved by Paizo Inc. For more information about Paizo's community use policy, please visit paizo.com slash community use. And for more information about Paizo and Paizo products, please visit paizo.com. That's P-A-I-Z-O dot Dark Nexus uses music and soundscapes by Sirenscape. Check them out at sirenscape.com. That's S-Y-R-I-N-S-C-A-P-E dot com. Opening and closing themes, along with additional music, composed by Rob Kozlarik. Artwork for Dark Nexus is by Matt Walquist. Special thanks to Toy, without whose generosity this project would not have been possible. And thanks to DMCP, Richard and Ari, Paul and Shannon, Chris, Scotty, Jason, Jess, Joe, Chelsea, Matt, Dave, Darren, and everyone we've gamed with over the years for all the memories and inspiration. Fantastic. Can we level? Ha, 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 ha.